Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to another episode of Real Rap. I'm your co-host. I'm, I'll be your pilot on this uh, this little journey over the uh, tropics. Uh, my name's Shane Fender. Hey, everybody. It's Bennett Glace. Uh, we're here for our first uh, quarantine episode of Real Rap. I know I know. we said last time that we were recording on uh, December 25th, 2017. Uh, surprise! <laughs> it was a bit. It was a lie, actually. And we're not afraid to say that. Um, Bennett, what are we not afraid to say? Uh, we're not afraid to take a stand, I think is uh, it's usually what we okay. say. So this is a podcast about, right now it's about a director named Jacques Tati. And this is the third episode of our seventh season. In the past, we've covered directors such as Ron Howard and Mel Gibson and a few other guys that were very special and gals very special I unfortunately cannot remember who they <laughs> were but I assure you that that you can find them on the splittoothmedia.com website or the splittooth media podcast now I know what you're thinking where the <laughs> fuck are the new episodes well I'll tell you right now, they're on the Split Tooth Media podcast. This podcast is called Real Rap. There is a podcast on iTunes that is called Real Rap, and that, in fact, is our podcast. And there's another one that's called Real Rap, and don't pay attention to that one. You'll know it when you see it. Our, our podcast will not be on that. Just forget it. Subscribe forget to both. It. Why not? Subscribe to both. Do you ever smoke a cigarette? You throw that fucking thing out the window. Uh-huh. You're not putting it in your pocket and saying, "Oh, let me, uh, let me uh, hang on to this. I got to recycle it." No, smarten up. Uh-huh. Be economical. Uh-huh. This movie's about. Uh... Your father who's not your father, your uncle. This is uh, Jacques Tati's oh. My Uncle. Now, I found myself thinking, is having, like, a favorite uncle, is that just, like, a thing that exists in movies and doesn't exist in real life? And then your sister, Chelsea, posted something on social media that nearly brought a tear to my damn eye. Uh, you surprising your nephew at school, and I realized, you know, you're a real-life Monsieur Hulot, Shane. Ben, that fact there actually really brought it home for me, seeing... Uncle Hugh Lowe holding the hand of his little nephew. I felt so so connected to it. Uh-huh. I've said to my I've said to my sister, father of my nephew. <laughs> um, I'm the I'm the uncle to my nephew, and I'm the uh, and I'm the husband to my dog. Um, I said to her fatefully one day, um, every comedian is an uncle, and every uncle is a comedian. And I think that this movie is a great. Uh, it's a great illumination of that fact. Mm-hmm. I think we'll we'll come to know. Uh-huh. Um I I Bennett, you got to try it. You got to get Carter to have kids with one of his girlfriends because uh being an uncle is fan fucking tastic. Uh-huh. You are the funniest guy on the planet. All the jokes no one ever laughed at are ex- I- I- the funniest thing this person's ever heard. Mm-hmm. I uh <laughs> so wild watching uh tony erdman walk around behind you <laughs> i've green screened tony erdman into, because we're we're using zoom now as per order as per orders of uh D- president 
Parasite and Naranja. Um, but I got Tony Erdman going on my green screen in the background. Yeah, she, Chelsea also sent me that video that I think you and Annie had shown me of you spinning Finn around in the ground, which is a real uh, Hulo-ass uh, antic. Uh, oh antic, singular. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> This is another movie that had me just from the get-go. It opens once again with, like, vibe-ass, like, accordion music. The uh, the credits are on, like, a big sign out front of, like, a construction oh site. It's gosh. so funny. Like, what a simple little gag. That's hilarious. I just was... I found myself just laughing to myself, like, ha, 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 and I, we were, in, we, you know, it opens on that opening credits, and it looks like it's, like, a street sign or something, and you're reading it, and then you're like, oh, it's the credits. That's hilarious. Oh, it's so good. I have to say, I was, I say I laughed during the other ones, but it was mostly like, <laughs> this one, I was cackling like a witch. Yeah. So many just laugh LOLs during this. There are a lot of just really good bits. There's both kind of um, Seinfeldian kind of like, well, you know, all the dominoes are falling down sort of bits they build up to, mm-hmm. and also just... Uh, recurring gags that just pay out like a fucking slot machine. Uh, we oh we talked God. about it before we started recording, and I think I mentioned this in referring to the episode. There's a there's this fish fountain at uh, one family's house that <laughs> it's it's like it's the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, you just see it again uh-huh. and again, and it's never not funny. And it's just funny to look at. Like looking at a still photo of this set is funny. Um, Monsieur Hulot is an uncle to this young kid. I think he's supposed to be like eight years old, Gerard. Mm-hmm. And his sister and her husband live in this very bougie Beetlejuice ass house on the other <laughs> it's side so of town. Beetlejuice ass. It's it's very very Beetlejuice. Um, I, I, I almost you know what I kind of like though is you don't see them usually with a house like this you see them designing it. It's some sort of like dream house run amok or it's some like contest they won that they end up living in a house like this. It's just from the right. get go taken as a given that they live in this fucking Beetlejuice ass fish fountain <laughs> like monstrosity Art of a Deco, house, like bad dream. Uh-huh. You remember in A New Leaf, James Coco has that uh, motorized pepper grinder. Everything in this house is that motorized is pepper the grinder. Motorized pepper grinder, <laughs> uh-huh. absolutely. And Hulo lives on the other side of town in this kind of like dilapidated boarding house. Uh, it's a very, mm. it, it's like a cobblestone street ass kind of. Uh, it's like comparing old city to fish town, you might say. Mm. Um, the bougie ass stuff really reminded me of fish town, and it made me want to say like, we, I've talked before about how like. I can't stand the neighborhood I live in, like, so many things about it. It's, to me, like, the pinnacle of, like, neoliberal, like, millennial embarrassment. Like, having to point at a menu because I don't want to say, like, Cardi Burrito or whatever. But one thing I really Uh, love uh about Fishtown (laughs) is the ubiquity of, like, fish stuff. Like, everyone has, like, um, like address placards that have, like, fish on them. Um, right, right. In the the apartment that um, a certain weed entrepreneur and a certain um, positivity <laughs> entrepreneur used to live in, they had this like bowl on their coffee table, and I mean a bowl in the sense of like storing stuff, not in the sense of you know paraphernalia. Um, smoking. <laughs> they had this. They had this bowl that looked like sort of like a fish, sort of like bent like this. And I don't know, fish uh... iconography really makes me laugh. Like I'm more famous for my love of ducks, but seeing seeing like fish mm. shit around. They've got fish yeah. garbage cans in Fishtown. Uh, really. Oh yeah, yeah. The the, the fountain really um, reminds me. Well, the that. Bonefish Grill, Bennett, famously in Oxford Valley. Yes, you must you must love just driving by that. Ah, uh, well, every time I see that sign, I go ah, La Luna. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, the I I think we can go over the kind of setting of of uh, Mon Oncle. It's like kind of stra- straddles the 
the old and new of um, French society at the time, there's uh, one character, the the dad of the kid, who Monsieur Hulot is the uncle of, works at this plastic factory, mm-hmm. and it's like the height of like plastic factories, like what you would imagine. It's just kind of like super sleek modern it's just like plastic uh-huh. on the in like cool like deco uh-huh. writing uh-huh. it's like the height of modernity everything is super slick and their house very much mirrors that sleek design like basically like a it was built in the in the probably previous five years uh-huh. and and is like the it, it represents the cutting edge of design and then um monsieur hulot lives like right across town where this super modern uh these the super modern area like abuts and it's like a really old like town that's falling apart it looks like the town from like like, the big day it's it's like that sort of yeah yeah. slightly more modern uh, in the sense that we're seeing like cars but it's all like jalopies compared to the sort of um kind of you know hot 60s cars we're seeing people drive in the more modern side of town it's weird all the nice ass car- i was like i don't even think people in france today have cars that are that nice uh it's it's weird i, I i've seen so many like stuff so many things set in this period that are also set in the united states I, I don't know that i've ever seen like a 60s-ish era thing set anywhere besides like the uk or the u.s so i associate like <laughs> the whole look with the u.s generally uh there's yeah. a huge blind spot for me guy who pretends to uh have watched a lot of movies um well i feel like i i'll watch a movie that'll take place in 1901 that was made in maybe the 40s and i'm like no they filmed it in 1901 mm-hmm. This is this is just how life was. Uh-huh. People wearing like colonial outfits, and I think they filmed it in seventeen seventy six. They just have no conception of uh, time. Are you one of those people who assume that the teachers all lived at school? They do. <laughs> what do you mean assumed? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just gonna. Um, I uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, anyway. we'll we'll cut that one out. Um, I like that this is a move. <laughs> this is a very much like it brings the slobs versus snobs conflict into the, into a family setting um you have hulo and his brother-in-law represent slobs and snobs um uh-huh. we get kind of a different a little bit more hulo speaks even less in this movie but i feel like we get he's more fleshed out um you find out he, he's maybe not quite like an innocent um there's he's he seems to be at the dinner party in the one scene like whispering like body jokes or something like he's not quite like right. the childish yeah. innocent that we maybe thought he was in um holiday He's just sort of like he's, he's just like a little stinker. He's just a little scamp. Uh huh. He is. Yeah. His scampiness and his uh his kind of like hillbilly crassness uh-huh. kind of comes out. Like he's not afraid to like get his fucking hands dirty or do. Uh-huh. He's like like he knows that he's a troublemaker a little bit. He, he's a little like cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation. Do you know what I mean? Like he shows up in his RV mm-hmm. and he's like you know mm-hmm. shitters full. Um. He just kind of like, and they're like, oh, <laughs> that cousin Eddie, you know, it's, it's, well, Gerard loves him. Uh-huh. Um, and I, so... I just look and love the uncle constantly like tossing his hat and like stepping on it. Just being like, oh, that Julo! Like he's just so, he's so, <laughs> so exasperated fast. by him constantly, just like so... constantly like trying to do stuff for his son. And then Hulot will do something and his son will like go wild and whatever the father does, right, the son right. is just completely nonplussed. Oh, it's so good. Um, so we open 
on a bunch of dogs like eating trash. Just picking a garbage. That's the first thing I wrote about in my notes. He was like, ah, yes, the boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like uh, Tati would, would like hanging out with us just because dogs eating trash i think to him dogs eating trash is just fun and funny Uh it doesn't really match up with like how this movie goes and i wouldn't um i wouldn't go so low as to say that he's trying to make like a metaphor about like society by showing these dogs eating trash i honestly think he just thinks it's funny Uh well that's another thing i like about the the movie in general like he obviously has kind of a jaundiced view of like modernity and he's making fun of the brother-in-law and that whole, or the, the, the sister and that whole family, brother-in-law and the sister. Um, but he also like, he does kind of think this stuff looks cool. Like he's not like totally judging these people, you know, like the, mm. or it's at least like funny. He's like, yes, the fish fountain is like a funny idea. You know what I mean? Like he's okay. He's yeah. not just, it's not a full on like hatchet job about people like this who buy stupid crap like this. He's sort of like, you, did, did you agree? I mean, I think he's sort of like, you can see why you get swept so, up in this crap. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of people who saw this were like, that house is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it is kind of cool. But like, I th- I think we're in a unique position. Okay. When this came out, there was kind of like a split of people like saying, you're being way too harsh. Uh, these people are just trying to like, I don't know, live in a society that's always changing and they're adapting to it and you know you're making it look fucking ridiculous and then very soon after this movie came out the economy just fucking collapsed and it was like yeah these people that are you know chasing their tail in this insane new economy uh maybe he was right about making fun of them Mm -hmm. and fucking mike d'angelo this guy i cannot get a grip on because every movie i see that he reviews, he just gives it like a 56 out of a hundred. And then he's like, I, it made me gassy. Um, he said that this movie poked too much fun at the rich people. Well, do you think that there's a, there's a, uh, there's a kernel of truth there. Do you feel, he said he felt personally attacked by it. Uh, I was like, what, is that his, is that his way of humble bragging about being a rich guy? That's right. Like, <laughs> I was literally watching Metropolitan last night, and there's a scene where a character. This is a movie about just kind of these very, very, very upper uh, upper class kind of like bougie yuppies who still go to like debutante balls and stuff. And the one character who's like very serious about being like a member of this group who really sees himself as uh, a member of the uh, bourgeoisie is complaining about uh-huh. the um, the Bunuel movie, the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie. He's like, I saw that title and I was like, finally, an honest look at the bourgeoisie. And then, oh, you can imagine my surprise. <laughs> That's Mike D'Angelo. I, you know what I found out about Mike D'Angelo from from a coworker who's also like a a lacinophile um apparently mike d'angelo ah. makes most of his living just like gambling online like makes like like eighty thousand dollars a year playing like online poker and that's how he like sustains basically writing movie reviews as a hobby um don't quote me on that figure but i think he tweeted one time Jesus. what it was and it's something like that uh so you know um well uh every every uh every letterboxd review that he puts out is a huge gamble in terms <laughs> of uh uh uh, you know, having a reputation after writing it, so uh, I imagine at the poker table he's probably got a he's a probably a wild card. Yeah, well, hey, can't read my can't read my poker face. 
Joker <laughs> Joker's wild. Oh. Uh, this is the part famously when um Tony Erdman is waiting for a cab. Ah, uh, yes. I uh I think one of yeah, the biggest like laughs I've ever gotten in the cinema is when she when he turns around and has those big fake teeth and when you first meet Tony Erdman. Oh we all God. just gasped. So fucking funny. And the fact that his daughter has to be dead silent. Uh-huh. When... Just the whole concept of calling somebody's bluff is such a funny idea. And there's a reason there are so many like sitcom ass premises like built around something like that, you know? Uh, uh-huh. Just taking it to its logical conclusion, taking someone's calling somebody's bluff to like a three hour movie, like, motherfucking man. Aside, do you remember the last time you, or like, do you remember the, the, most uproar you've gotten in public when you've done like a um like you're in a group of people you don't really know and then you say like a joke kind of out loud and like like people either laugh or don't i guess you're a tour guide so you probably um i did get a lot of moments like that where i would i would get i would have an opportunity to do the kind of letterman pentos and i one time did Uh um one of my famous calls into that radio show in front of like a group of people who who uh-huh. were largely like friends of friends and that was just like fucking i mean that was like a high like i'd never experienced i was truly i was like Dang. on cloud nine i was i was ascending i was like that gif of no face from spirited away in front of the buffet just going ah my friends the feast <laughs> you know it was really incredible stuff um, uh-huh. i felt like hulo i mean i was a real pig and shit hulo is really a character after my own heart in this movie especially because like it's hard for me to relate to someone who would go to the beach for a good time but this in this case mm-hmm. he's just a guy who likes listening to music loud Likes riding around in his little motorized bike, like smoking a pipe. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So many just likes hanging out. Just likes kind of just like hanging out. He's just sort of like a slob in this. Yeah. Um. He can't really be. He's unemployable. He just can't really be bothered. Um. Oh, no. and another thing yeah. about so another thing about the, the, the critique in this movie. What I liked about it, and it it, it 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 emphasizes the degree to which both ways of life, both extremes, are impractical. And I think it achieves that through mm. one key juxtaposition. One juxtaposition in particular stuck out. Um, the the pathway into the Beetlejuice-ass house that his sister and um, brother-in-law and Gerard live in, is um, uh-huh. it, it's got a bunch of like cobblestones are sort of set in the grass, and everybody walks yeah. on it like you have to walk on each stone. Nobody steps on the grass. So they take this like really uh-huh. elaborate, like impractical way to get into the house every time. And Hugh Lowe's house is this m- m- huge, decrepit boarding house with all of these various like fire escapes <laughs> and walkways. And through these kind of like uh, through these shots where we can see the entire house, we watch as it takes him like six minutes to get to his room through this like crazy right. pathway that he, he has to walk. We see him come into like every individual window. In both cases, there's a real impracticality to living this way, right? Yeah, he does famously have to walk upstairs to get downstairs, uh-huh. and at one point has to walk downstairs to get, or like the inverse as well. There's like a part where he has to go. Uh, up a floor too high and then go back down uh-huh. so good and it's once again like th- there are no real like close-ups that's another thing i really like it- it's where he um he it deviates from just so much like comedy um even like buster keaton even though he but buster keaton famously didn't really like mug for the camera like he was the great like stone face his, his reacting to the mm-hmm. gags would just be these close-ups of his face with like no expression and that was kind of the bit there's no <laughs> close-ups and reaction shots in these movies. It's all of these crazy like bits going on, and you never get like a wah, wah. you never get as much as right. the, as much as there is this like Seinfeldian buildup. There's no, you know, the music coming in. You know, yeah. Um, he, uh, I feel in that way, like he'll use a very long lens and capture, like in this one, in this movie, and ones we've watched previously, capture. Th- 
uh, like two events happening or even like three or four events happening in the same frame. Mm -hmm. And this is going to get like, it's, uh, you're going to think, um, when you see playtime that this guy was, uh, on crack or something, um, because the depth of, of the, of the bits that are occurring simultaneously is so pronounced, Mm -hmm. Uh, to the point where you you can't even decide where you're supposed to be looking. At this point, he's, I feel like, takes a huge leap between uh-huh. the the early, not because it's only it's in color, but his earlier movies and the like trajectory he follows in playtime and traffic. Uh, that in it becomes a lot more socially focused on like a larger scale. And um, you're you see so much action at once, mm-hmm. and he's uh yeah. Once again, it's these really kind of deep frames where there's multiple different like planes of action. Um, there's a lot of Hulo has kind of uh, a kindred spirit in 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 Gerard and um in all of his friends. They're kind of like shitty little stinkers too. And I like all of like the pranks that go on. Gerard's the kid. Yeah, and I like all of like the pranks that go on where they're sort of like up on that hill overlooking the road. That's a good. That's oh. it's kind of a repeat a shot we get several times. That's always giving us sort of two different planes of action, and we're there mm, kind of like mm. hiding with the kids or with Hulo as they're just trying to like pull a fast one on everybody. Yeah, um, yeah. There's ways in which he'll he'll uh, enhance or limit the perspective in order to like make the bit as funny as it can be. Like when we are watching the kids do that to people in the background. It's fun because we're seeing all of it and the person getting duped is not seeing what we're seeing. Uh And then there's like a twist on that where that trick is happening again, but in like the modern part of town and we see a guy walking towards a light post, the kid whistles and we see both of them. And then Tati cuts to just like this very limited frame of seeing over a fence, just the uh, top of the light post and a noise and then the light post shaking. Mm-hmm. And you assume like, oh, the guy fucking ran into it. And, you know, it's the same bit that we saw before and is somehow just even more hilarious that we like see it coming. And then he's like, I know you know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. So he'll like just take away all of what you're seeing and give you like a small hint that yes, the the bit did go down. Don't you worry. And uh, yeah, the subject of the deep frames too. Like characters, and I, 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 this is totally unscientific, a totally unverified claim. It seems as if characters are never exiting like screen right or screen left. They're always exiting like kind of like through the screen. They're always either like coming <laughs> toward us out of frame or like away from us, like deep into the frame. There's so much like escaping through fences and shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they'll go through doorways. What I do like, or what I found really interesting, is that no one ever disappears into a building. Like, that will follow them as they walk through, like, as Hulo walks through every hallway uh-huh. in his house to get upstairs. Um, when people leave out the front gate, you could still see their head over the fence, mm-hmm. walking all the way out of frame. It's like there's there's no way in which it seems like people are running, like, off the set it's like they're still performing even Uh when they're going through all these things and it's like it's really strange how into 
architecture Tati seems to have become like since uh since the uh Hulo's holiday he's spe- like it's so such a part of the foreground how people are navigating like architecture and not it where before it was like their their kind of clothing and their hats and the gear that they have when they were on vacation but now it's like how they live in the spaces that they're in and he seems to, re- to be really in interested and intrigued by like like developments in furniture mm-hmm. and and like public s- systems roadways like he seems to be like a like really passionate about these things mm-hmm. in the way that somebody who is like constructing them would be uh-huh. right i mean this is the first instance where he really like builds an entire world for this movie um mm-hmm. uh which i guess from my understanding is something he continues to do with uh with playtime um you talked about mm. the, perf- the the way that people are performing as they walk through the spaces um and with the huge windows everywhere they look very much to be on display uh much like Hulo's holiday this movie gets a kind of like the performativity of like everyday life um how much like hard mm. work goes into just every aspect of life um, they have this like really automated kitchen that seems to have made everything significantly more complicated. Um, like Hulo's trying to oh put stuff away in the pantry, God. and it's this horrifying like it opens and closes like at random. Oh, right, yeah, it's like it's like touch censored or something. You got it this earlier. There's a way that like all of this shit, this whole house feels exactly like how shit is today, like how new shit feels. Uh-huh. Like, uh, you know, like neoliberal coffee shops. I fucking worked in one until I got laid off. And it is exactly like it's all white. There's fucking weird stools. Um, I I never felt like I belonged there. Mm -hmm. It constantly has to be cleaned because you could see every dead fly. (laughs) Everything's white. Yeah, you could see every speck of dust. Everyone, people walk in, they don't know where to stand. Like they're just looking around. Mm -hmm everyone everyone turns into Hulot when the second they walk mm-hmm. in and uh i mean there's beautiful sunlight coming uh-huh. in but it's like jesus fucking christ everything's like, supposed to put you at ease and be as like inoffensive as possible but it just puts everybody <laughs> on edge the chairs in this movie right. are so funny just the fucking that oh, weird shaped chair that she's God. trying to pawn off on Hulot to like make him sit in i really i don't know how to describe it people it just sort of looks like two funnels sort of attached at, at the bottoms uh and he doesn't know uh-huh. how to sit in it um, that wild couch there the it's 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 a huge i don't know like audience payoff when you see the same exact furniture in the office that he mm-hmm. works in and at his house it's like there's no diversity in modernity uh-huh. it's just like this is like the prescribed good uh-huh. thing that you get when you're wealthy it's all a prerequisite modern yeah society. Yeah. Of course, if your house looked like this, your office would also look like... If your house looks like X, your office is going to look like Y, which is basically the same thing as X. <laughs> and um, there's no... Um, like, there's no necessity to it. Everything is like the the modern version of it. N- nothing in their house has any, like... Seems to be, like, practically there. There's not, like, a, a handrail anywhere that isn't, like, stylized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this movie must have been really expensive. Like, uh, Will Sloan said this yeah. in reference to Playtime in particular, but I think it applies here. He said, uh, the business of movie making is designed so that movies like this don't exist, basically. 
Like this really is like a, a wild auteur vision, the idea of building like these sets. Um, <laughs> yeah, it seems impractically so. Really? I, I mean, it's it, it, the comparison to Beetlejuice seems really apt. I mean, it's the sort of like set we haven't seen since those kind of movies, since something like The Grinch, mm. frankly, you know, when there were just big set movies, you know, like the Flintstones. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like you the the build, big set movie. You, you build a set and then and then live in it for like months and months. Uh-huh. Um it seems like that there were there were some bits that you wouldn't be able to do unless you existed in like the idea of this house for a long time. All of the all of the fountain bits and the dog crossing the little uh laser for the garage. Uh-huh. It's like you'd really have to understand exactly how this place was going to be set up if uh-huh. you wanted to like figure out how Hugh Lowe is eventually going to sleep on that kidney sh- bean shaped ass couch. Uh-huh. To figure out how Hugh Lowe is eventually going to like muck it all up, right? It, no pun intended, right. the gags feel so lived in. I forgot, I almost forgot they have a tiny little wiener dog. So sweet. They've got this wiener dog so in a little coat. Cute. Oh. Oh, Benoist found a little weak spot for doggy uh, dogs. You know I love little dogs. You know I love wiener dogs. dogs. You know I love like chihuahuas. Oh, <laughs> I did not know I wouldn't own one, but I don't mind seeing one, and I like seeing one in a movie, yeah. yeah. It's like when everyone kicked up such a fuss that you couldn't bring a dog on the subway unless it could fit in a bag. Like, no one should own a dog that can't fit in a bag anyway. Like a wiener dog, uh, a chihuahua, you know, a chow chow, a Japanese chin. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, I feel like you have, the only dog you should rescue mm. is a small dog because it's been so just genetically Mm. fucked by Uh us that you have to like show it some sympathy. But like a big dog, it's like you you can't live in this world anymore. Doggy dog world, man. Um, right, yeah. If you're if if somehow you see a French bulldog in a shelter, God, imagine what that thing's you been through. See that thing. <laughs> Ooh, cool. The generational trauma. Yeah. yeah. The okay. I I think that Tati gets at a very like significant understanding of the way the world works by having people exist in the spaces they do. He has like a whole kind of economic and social setup based on how these people work and live like that is applicable to today i think that there's a general understanding these days that like we've gotten so far into this we're like into the economy that we've set up that there are basically jobs that don't provide any service and are essentially meaningless in order to just like move money to to people um like paper pushing uh-huh. type shit and the way in which hulo sets up this world and sets up the like factory and sets up the relationship all the workers have to the boss which is the dad of the kid uh makes it so that there is a guy that opens a fence at the front of the driveway of the factory but it's a fence that is like covers only half the street. You could very easily drive around it. And it's like this stupid ass, like just for show fence. And there's a guy whose job it is to stand at that fence and open it for every car Mm -hmm. that comes by as like, uh, uh, and it's like, the like, I don't, I don't know how (laughs) society was when it was fucking rapidly modernizing in countryside France. But like, he's kind of predicting these like fucking bullshit jobs that we create Uh because the pomp of our of what we're doing and the uselessness of it is like i don't know so turned on in on itself that we're completely unaware of like what's practical anymore right it's it's people 
like me who are lucky enough to be able to like work from home right now. <laughs> I with fake jobs. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. A, a similar idea where it's like just for show is like the fish fountain. The fish fountain sprays water out of its mouth. And uh, every time there's like uh-huh. an important guest at the door, um, Gerard's mother oh, runs to turn the fish fountain on. And then if it's just like a delivery uh-huh. guy or something, she'll then like in a huff, like turn it off. But you can uh-huh. see uh-huh. if the fish fountain is on from outside anyway. So from everybody outside. knows that they're just putting it on, you know, oh, to put on a show for the so guests. It's, yeah. It's it becomes like a like a like depending on the class that you're in, <laughs> you get the fish fountain. When Hugh Lowe comes, they turn it on and then they see him walk in, turn the fish fountain off because they obviously can't have it on all the time because it's just like annoying and a hassle. But if so, like a guest is coming over, they'll turn the fish fountain on and it's like this beautiful thing in their front yard that mm-hmm. they've set up over time. The funniest instance of it. The, well, there's Two of my favorites are uh, someone knocks on the gate, turns the fish fountain on, and it's it's her husband. And he's like, no, turn it off. It's me. It's just me. And she turns it off and like opens the gate. The second, the I think the best one is when the neighbor who's also in this uh, world of like modernity bougie, bougie and has like, weird clothing, yeah. bougie nonsense, yeah, comes in in like a fez and like this like kind of Turkish looking rug like as like a shawl, uh-huh. something you would see two days, uh-huh. people wearing two day. And <laughs> because the fence is so far away, the person operating the, the fountain turns the fountain on, opens the door and is like, who is that? Like, we don't, we don't want any rugs. Uh-huh. She thinks she's like a Turk selling rugs. And she's like, and it's not until she walks in that you see she's like wearing a shawl that and a fez. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, right. It takes like a minute and a half like a for fucking... them to realize it's the neighbor and that they should keep the fish fountain on. It's a good bit. Right, yeah. There's so many good bits so. around the house. I the one I really liked and this is a great sequence in general uh is when Hugh Lowe is like fucking around in the kitchen and he starts bouncing that pitcher. Uh and then he drops <laughs> another glass expecting it's going to bounce and it just cracks uh-huh. and uh uh-huh. he just kicks it under. He takes a full on like what did you do? sort of approach just <laughs> kicks it under a kicks it under like a table. Like that's the sort of guy Hugh Lowe is. Once again, you know, he's just sort of like chaotic yeah. neutral who every, every now and then veers over into like actually like destructive nonsense. Right. Um, he, he, uh, there's like, he, Tati like found this part of everyone's life and put such a magnifying glass. Like when you're at a friend's house and you like accidentally stain their couch and then you like have to privately flip the, couch cushion over uh-huh. and like hide the stain that you did like a fucking little bad kid or something uh-huh. or like you don't know how to work a light switch and you end up like peeing in the dark at but pee all over the seat and then like spend 10 minutes cleaning it up uh-huh. like that's a part of all of our lives that i didn't realize is like so like such like a childish moment that we find ourselves in because we just can't navigate this insane uh-huh. world we've set up. P- being in an office like motion sensor lights is an example of like I'm just I've found myself basically regressing twelve years because I've no idea how to shoot. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. I mean his his entire life like trying to get by in this in in this sort of modern side of town is nothing but those sort of pissing all over the dark bathroom. <laughs> it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! <laughs> oh, the like the clear like I was actually couldn't stop laughing. Like, and he was like, "Can you please stop?" Like this, I get it. Um, was when he, the fish fountain is going during. There's a penultimate party at the at the at the modern house where all the neighbors come and they're all involved in this like pomp. 
and uh, Hulo comes to the party, and he's like, you know, he's not exactly the most modern guy. He doesn't know how to navigate these situations, and he punctures... <laughs> punctures the pipe that goes to the fountain uh-huh. and the water starts spraying out of the ground and not out of the fountain and he just has to like stand <laughs> stand over it and like just like pretend that he's still talking to everyone but privately has this fucking huge crisis going on where he walks into the little pool and his ankles get all wet so he just has to stand behind a low bush uh-huh. and talk to everybody from like a little bit of a distance and everyone's just like Everything cool, man? That's the, yeah, and that's really where I can, like, relate to Hulo. Like, the shitting your oh. pants in white chinos, so just standing, standing frontward. Uh-huh. Standing against, <laughs> standing the, against wall. the wall so yeah. no one notices. Just, like, not being able to, like, articulate it. Just being like, well, you know, what's the, uh-huh. what's the lowest stress way to get out of this? Or what's, what's, what is, right. what is the lowest effort, highest stress way to get out of this? <laughs> <laughs> it, bec- like, and those are moments that I thought previously were undescribable or i couldn't even acknowledge them myself because (laughs) you find yourself in such a unique bind like do you ever like are just on a walk or something and something weird happened you're like i could die just by some strange like you've got like you went down the wrong road and you're like have to walk down the highway for Uh a little bit or something like you just find yourself in like how the fuck did i get into this and i find that so many of the bits in this are like indescribably complex for hulo Mm -hmm. like the uh like he like someone else broke a branch on a tree and because the pomp of this house is such that everything has to be perfect he spends all this time trying Uh to get the other branches to like be even with the broken Uh one to make it look okay but he ends up like cutting them all a little too much and having to like keep cutting them to the point where he does this like (laughs) fucking heist in the middle of the night Uh And has to break into the house in order to cut the branches so that they're even, just so that this family, because they obviously can't handle like things being upset in their very modern home, doesn't notice that the branches are Those uneven. Pitchfork ass trees. It's um, it's it's basically the fact that he works in plastics is like basically the same joke from The Graduate. And once again, it's aged perfectly. Yeah. Now that plastic mm. is kind of widely acknowledged to be like a scourge and like. The worst oh thing God, we ever yeah. thought of. The worst thing we ever did in the name of modernity. Yeah. Right, um, right. Like the net worst for humans. The um the crazy Seinfeldian, um, or more like Curb Your Enthusiasm Ian um shark boat gag in this movie is a bit in the plastic factory that's much too complicated to describe, where he ends up creating these like this plastic hose that looks like a bunch of sausage. And he's got to like try to, and this is a, this is yet another example of him on like a much larger scale, just kicking the broken glass under the cupboard. He's got to try to sneak out this uh. huge, like many, many, many <laughs> feet of rubber tubing out of the factory before his brother-in-law oh. notices. Uh huh. I, I like also that the fact that it looks like sausage is like not even really commented on. Uh-huh. It's just like it just happens and it's funny. Uh-huh. I think at one point the dog and starts also, following him, but yeah, no, it's really just like an incidental <laughs> part of the bit. There's, oh, there's this one, <laughs> one part where they're the kids. How about that fucking bread vendor? Oh, the, uh, the jelly and sugar uh-huh. and bread vendor. He's like making these like forbidden treats uh-huh. that like only kids can what have. It's called? bread. Crawler. Piping hot crawlers. Jam. 
it's bread with a ton of jam and just sugar dumped there's so on much it. Like, sugar yeah it was so truly like bobby hill like feeding the queen ant ass um how about <laughs> this movie is so funny that like even when i don't get the joke i was laughing there's a bit it's, it's around like 40 minutes in i think it's when we're first getting like a look around hugh Lowe's side of town there's this merchant i believe he's selling like yarn and a cop walks over and is talking to him and he just starts doing all sorts of like windmilling arm, like zipping and zooming, <laughs> like choo-choo, just Bennett-type shtick. I have yeah, no idea yeah. what that was supposed to I mean. No don't know what that signified. I, I howled like a little little shitty banshee at it. I thought it was so funny. I was like, God, this guy just gets it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's a there's a point where that all the kids, Hugh Low is hanging out with his um his boy his his nephew and then all the and he's fucking around with them they're all playing and then all the kids go to the stand or and it's at a stand run by an adult selling these this gross bread jam sugar thing and hulo like stands off in the distance as if he's the kid and the kid and the kids are like adults going into like a bar or something like hulo is like uh that's like it's not for me like that's that's the kids thing like he like stands off in the corner and like waits for them to be done so i guess that he doesn't have to like interact with this other adult that like knows how bad these kids are being uh-huh. there's another moment of that right at the end where they're all trying to dump this sausage link hose that got ruined at the plastic factory like all the factory workers have gotten involved because they don't want the boss to realize that they fucked up all this hose and uh and there's a couple that like is walking kind of like kissing each other and all these workers with the hose just like start whistling pretend they're like walking the other way even though they have this huge task that they like need to dump this fucking hose they're like oh we're just like just play it cool Uh oh no sorry Uh didn't want to like bother you or something right that's another gag he gag type he basically invented act natural and then just acting like a complete fucking Act natural under the most absurd <laughs> circumstances when, like, you're covered in shit. Yeah. Uh, I loved the fat kid. Kind of, like, a little bit of a bully, but willing to, like, give everyone, like, a chance. The kids are so He's, like, funny. kind of the ringleader. Yeah. yeah. Good kid stuff. Just good, like, just kind of, like, crappy little, like, prank antics. Yeah. And I have to imagine mm-hmm. if it's anything like the other movies, that these are mostly just sort of, like, non, you know, non-professional actors. I mean, kids in general, even a professional kid actor, I, I think most of them aren't exactly like you know, only so good, yeah right yeah. you're you're still directing a kid um yeah uh great job and i don't know you know I, we maybe talked about this in another episode ben f like always says you know as a director you, you worry about not getting enough coverage of yourself uh you uh, <laughs> really juggles them like the uh like the clown he is the directing and the acting in this movie there's a great bit uh-huh. at the end when he's um uh, he's trying to light a cigarette or his, his pipe um in a car with like on windows and the matches keep going out so his brother hands him the uh, uh, in-car cigarette lighter, and he lights his pipe and then tosses the lighter <laughs> out. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So good. Yeah, and that follows with the, like, dropping the cup on the ground. Like, he's so consumed by habit that, like, uh-huh. he doesn't even know what's in his He's just totally, hands. like, absent-minded, yeah. And then, I like, yeah. the movie ends on kind of, like, a sweet note as um, the father finally wins over Gerard by repeating a prank Aww. that we've seen Hulot yeah. uh, do. So it's a little like yeah. it's a little like the last episode of King of the Hill when Bobby and Hank can finally bond over stakes. Um, I don't know if you've seen the episode. Uh-huh. Bobby joins this team at the middle school where they like grade meat, like they observe and like grade meat. <laughs> like we talk about like the flaws and stuff. Uh, oh, so he and Hank really bond. Middle American shit. Yeah. Um, this movie has such a yeah, My- just a sweet ending. Like the other two movies have kind of ended with slightly like kind of chaotic notes, and this movie um, 
has more of a right, right, more of kind of like a return to normalcy. And now, uh, yeah, he he brings it back to to like order, whereas in the others they devolve completely into chaos, which this one does, but um, you know, it just kind of resolves itself. The um, I I found it so interesting, and it honestly working in a neoliberal ass cafe where everything is as clean as this factory i can't overstate how prescient tati is in like predicting Uh like how these types of things go in that this exact thing happens at my place the boss will walk by and everyone has to like clean up like look busy like and, and they're all just like these these are factory workers they don't live in the same world that the boss does that looks exactly like this factory and everything's super modern like they're the kind of people that are like you know just chilling out and like don't really give a shit about all this like you know pomp and anytime the boss walks by uh they like all have Uh to look busy and it has their work has nothing to do with like getting the job done and only with looking like you're getting the job Uh done it's like at my cafe when no one's around or the one I used to work at. When no one's around, we're just ch- hanging out, enjoying ourselves. Uh-huh. But when the boss comes around, we all have to look fucking busy, clean the place up. like. And it's not for any of the guests. It's only to <laughs> like fucking impress the boss uh-huh. when he comes by. Well, yeah, that was when I, like, when I worked at the school. We would regularly have these uh, insane audits called uh, QBOs oh, or something. Like quali- or Q- QOEs or something. Qualities of like an effective or QEOs. Qualities of an effective organization assessments. And that was the thing. It's like we're only doing all of this for those. This isn't for the kids. This isn't like this isn't right, to like right. improve outcomes. This is so that like your right. fucking boss walks so that, through here and we don't get a, like a we don't get a fucking you know demerit on our on our personal exactly. records. Um, yeah, you know if you're leaning, you could be cleaning though. Um, it's very much. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. mention this anyway because of the wiener dog connection, but it reminds you the whole like, hey, how's it going, boss? Stuff reminds me of uh, when Sister John Ann and Joan Irene would make you say good morning, Sister John Ann and Sister Joan Irene. <laughs> this is all that. This is all like the adult, like uh-huh. quote unquote adult version of that. Like us, like fucking yeah, yeah, working harder because our boss is like walking behind our desk. We might as well be saying exactly. good morning, Sister Joan Irene. Sister Joan Irene. <laughs> yeah, exactly, uh-huh. and. And and every single person that works here is sitting on their thumb until somebody walks by. One guy has like a woman he's flirting with that has to like scurry off when somebody walks by and he just has to like stand up straight or something. It's like Tati's almost going out of his way to have these people doing like less than nothing mm-hmm. when, when they don't need to. Uh, I thought the sweetest kind of moment was like the kid throughout, he is in the early stages of being kind of pounded into this modernity life. Like he knows how to navigate the house and how he's supposed to act and put on his slippers, but he's so begrudging. Mm -hmm. Like he has, he still has a part of his humanity. Um, and he knows that like, this is fucking ridiculous. I like, he just kind of like slumps over in the fancy chairs that they have. And his dad has to be like, sit up straight Uh son. Or like, and he doesn't belong in that house. I would say like, he belongs like in the, fucking weird mountain where he whistles at old people and like is rolling around in the dirt uh-huh. and uh Hulot similarly is so dense that he can't navigate his like part of the world which is like the kind of old country version of the city 
And he is constantly finding himself in trouble in that even like older type of town. And it struck me that like, oh, these two people, when they hang out, like none of that like bullshit matters. And they like totally belong to together. Uh And like just seeing them meet up with each other after like sitting in their like houses where nothing makes sense and just smiling and being like just so happy to leave Uh is uh, it was so heartwarming. Yeah. And it's clear that the kid is really starting to kind of chafe against the whole modernity like the dad gets him you sort of feel bad for the dad at certain points the dad buys him like that train and he's like oh yeah great and then hulo gives him like the paper doll and he's like wow holy shit um um, we watched this movie at least i watched this movie on the criterion channel shane you had a few choice words for the uh criterion channel which uh folks Um, highly recommend you guys watch this one of the better movies we've discussed open letter oh my god i think it's it's so uh it's it's so calculated. It's so, and it's so richly funny in like a way that in this, I feel like you see the bits coming and it is so funny that it is what you think it is. Like when the, the, his bottom of his foot was painted mm. and he stepped Tracking the foot, and then footprints it all over the like place. he was, he does that bit in reverse. Like he shows you the woman clasping her bra. Like he doesn't even have to show you the bit and it's, it comes to you backwards and it's like mama mia the the fucking white whale the uh-huh. like, la luna even, there's no not even a punchline uh-huh. yeah la luna uh so back to basics with the quarantine huh bennett you basically learn how to pee again uh yes yeah i've been peeing in my dark bathroom all wrong uh <laughs> i've been doing it wrong Whoa! um turns out i was supposed to turn the lights on beforehand um um next up on real rap guys is playtime Ooh, five dollars if you can guess how i'm gonna watch it you you rascal no no i'll cast it i'll cast it I'll, I'll I'll just given that we're all quarantined, I don't know when I'm gonna have the place to myself to like fucking mm-hmm. lock in with the just movie. Bring the fucking TV to your bedroom. <laughs> well, well, well. Uh, what was I gonna leave say? us a voicemail. Um, leave us tell a us voicemail. what you've been watching in uh, quarantine. Um, mm-hmm. If you've got any recommendations, who would you yeah. like to see us discuss on season eight? You know, it's never too early to start talking about season eight. Um, <laughs> well, I would say it's too early. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, all right. Well, one, fuck me one that. fun fact about this movie is that Tati won a Academy Award, I think, and then I guess this is a time when when you when you won an Academy Award, it was like winning a Nobel Prize, like you were given like fucking million dollars, or like you could do whatever you wanted after it. And uh, the Academy was like, yeah, whatever you want, we can make happen. And he visited three, I think, like three performers on their deathbed. One of them being Buster Keaton, and Buster Keaton like in hospice was like tati you are carrying on the torch of true cinema like i totally totally believe in you uh speaking of keaton i'm gonna finish that chapter uh from uh and and then you can put in the name of the book because i can't remember what it was called the perez book uh i read like 10 pages of it before we jumped on ghost by gil Gil perez gil uh, so far so good and i will uh, i will have read all of that going into the uh, episode on playtime yeah he really is carrying on the noble tradition of uh of keaton and chaplin etc mm-hmm. uh, harold lloyd certainly. 
Uh, Harold Zoid. <laughs> Um, e. Emmett Walsh. E. Emmett Walsh. M. Emmett Walsh. My favorite fun fact about Buster Keaton is that he had like a crazy, like really like raspy sort of a voice. Like that's bizarre. Would really like take sort people by Miles surprise. Davis, I'm learning. Miles oh Davis. yeah. Well, he had, he had like a dog like this. He had like a fucked up surgery, I think, to like fix yeah. a note or something. So like yeah. later, in the last like twenty years of his life, yeah, talked like a guy with like the fucked up throat. Mm-hmm. Um, that but, documentary's yeah. on Netflix right now. Very good. Hmm. Uh, kind or birth of cool, I think it's called. This is the part where there's a Hummer limo in uh, in uh, uh, Tony Erdman. I can never na- remember the name of this movie because it's so arbitrary. It's like what uh-huh. the, what are the, what is the weird combination of words that is that Tony, Tony Erdman? Erdman. I did. I just remember it like when this premiered, I can and then reading about it for like a year. Just like God, what an unusual sounding movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is truly weird. weird. Um, what, what, what are you watching tonight, Shane? Got any plans? You've been watching more movies thinking, lately. Uh, I was I, I want to watch more Jean-Pierre Melville. Melville. Mm. Nice. I might watch more Romare. I gotta say, Tati's jump. Guy. I liked the five movies I watched last weekend. Yeah, quite a lot. And I liked My Night at Mods even, maybe even better, um, which I had watched already. The only moral tale that I didn't watch last Saturday. Um, um, I, his leap to color is much like Tati's leap to color. Like, there's just such a... It's just like a fucking different ball game. Once he he's doesn't movies in color. I feel like Tati doesn't use, um, like he doesn't make color the focal point. He doesn't like throw it in your face, but he very much earns like the the kind of feel, like jumping into Technicolor, like a leap into the future. He really like it. It feels like it's appropriate that it's in color and not just like look at this fucking technology we have. Uh-huh. Like as as if like the 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 world around the movie and the world of filmmaking has like come to this sort of more advanced place that may or may not be deserved. I, and he really earns that car at the end, being that crazy you got car. a fucking crazy mustache. It's so like, it's so sh- it's so combed and nice. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm surprised Peace, it came man. in as well. You should it's been you two should weeks. Just... <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> I, I never thought your your facial hair would come in like this, but it's looking good. Thanks, man. And folks, Welcome. tune in next time for our discussion of Shock Tati Seminal. Shock Tati. Pronounce it like Alex Trebek would. Yeah. Next mm-hmm. time on Real Rap. Real Rap. <laughs> oh, oh no, that's not. Uh, Are we gonna offend can, our French wait. listeners? And please leave us a voicemail at 410-694-7228. That's 410-694-7228. I don't care what you say. Bye-bye.